Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey there, welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast. I am your host, Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to earn more and less time doing work they love for better clients. You can find detailed show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 161. And those notes include a summary of our discussion as well as any links to resources we mention during the show. You know, you can earn a very handsome living as a writer working on what I like to call transactional assignments for clients, clients who value skills and experience. So transactional, when I talk about that, I mean the kind of situation where a client says, look, I need this done. I need this written. Can you help us? It's a very common scenario. And really, you could earn a very, very handsome living doing that. You could say you write long form content. You could make a great living writing $6,000 white papers for clients that have recurring needs. With just two or three of these repeat clients, you could stay book solid. And as you get to know the client better and their content better, what happens is your internal hourly rate can skyrocket when you keep your fees the same, but then get more efficient at producing the work. And that's a great model. For some writers, however, this model can get old and they start wondering if there's a better way to do things. And that's exactly what happened to my guest this week. Her name is Maggie Patterson and she was making great money as a freelance writer. She was continually book solid, but she was starting to burn out. And she started looking for ways to better differentiate herself from other writers and get paid well for the full level of expertise she brought to every client engagement. Like many writers at this level that Maggie was in, she was bringing more to the table than just the writing. She was doing a little bit of consulting and strategy just as a natural extension of that. And she wanted to get paid for that value. So she began experimenting with offering more comprehensive services that included what she calls proprietary services. And the idea took hold. Today, she runs Scoop Studios, which is a content marketing agency that serves small and mid-sized businesses. And in this interview, Maggie explains how she transitioned from the traditional freelance model to an agency model built around proprietary services. And also how she leverages these processes to differentiate herself from the competition while adding way more value to her clients in every engagement. I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation, especially if you're at a transitional point in your business where you've grown to the point of maybe you're starting to burn out a little bit and you're wondering what the next step might be for you. Maggie, great to have you on the show. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Ed. Well, I am very excited to have you. And uh, this is going to be a very interesting and exciting topic. I know it's it's a discussion I've had with several people privately in the past, and I, I can't wait to go into this uh, at length with you. But before we dive in, give us a little bit of background. So tell us about your business today. And I know that's evolved and morphed over the years, but what, what kind of work do you and your company do today and what types of clients do you work with? 
So I own a content marketing agency called Scoop Studios. And, you know, I started off as a freelancer, but now we've stepped into having a team and really working with a wide variety of clients. But we typically specialize in everything from a micro business to kind of a small corporate client. Uh, I grew up in the enterprise software space and I don't really play there anymore. I don't want to have HPs and Microsofts as clients. I love that small agile business where we can really come in and have content marketing make a huge impact on their bottom line. And, and who are you typically working with at these companies? I mean, I'm assuming they have uh, at least one marketing person or are you sometimes working with the CEO or president? You know, it varies widely. Like sometimes we're dealing with a, you know, literally a two or three person company. So we're, we're literally working with all members of the team. And then other times it's working with that marketing team, typically kind of that content marketing manager, that marketing director. Gotcha. Okay, good. So kind of all over the spectrum. And I would think, you know, with the the smaller organizations that that's going to be, there's going to be some variety there. Um, I'm curious how you got your business to this point, because I don't think you started out as a content marketing agency. And, um, you know, maybe tell us a little bit about your journey to, to this place. So we're going to go way back in time, 13 years, we're going to get in the time machine. And, you know, I, like most freelancers, I started my business with a very basic kind of need in mind, which is I wanted flexibility for me and my family. I had been working in a PR agency. I had worked my way up. I worked grueling hours. I traveled all the time. I loved, loved, loved my job, but I learned in that role. It was a very entrepreneurial company and I saw how I could run my own business. So, uh, I went on my maternity leave, which is year long in Canada and I packed up my office and I knew I wasn't coming back. I was like, there is no better time. I've transitioned out the door than for me to try this. And I quickly got my feet under me as a freelancer and I started doing actually less PR and way more writing. And because that's really at the point where content marketing was becoming a thing. And I was like, oh, thank goodness, I can retire from pitching for PR and really focus in on writing things like white papers and press releases and blog posts. And, you know, this was the early days of blogging. So people were like, I I need a blog thing. Can you do that for me? And really just jumping in with that beginner's mindset of, sure, I can, I'll can, i give it a shot. And from there, you know, I, I freelanced very successfully for eight years. And I woke up one day and I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't do this anymore. I don't <laughs> want to have 40, 46 little bosses. And I really kind of shifted. And I think this is very typical. Shifting from freelancer to kind of that business owner mindset, started putting boundaries in place, started pricing myself differently because I hadn't raised my prices in eight years. I'd literally been charging $100 an hour for eight years. And, you know, over the last five years since I did that, I kind of pivoted into having a personal brand and then started building out my team and realized, you know, um, Maggie, you're running an agency here. So the Maggie agency is not a good way to go. And Scoop Studios was born from there. So now I'm not just a solo show. I have backup singers working with me and that makes my life a lot easier. And I don't have to do 100% of the client management, which makes me really happy. Well, I know for a lot of listeners, they're they're going, oh my gosh, that sounds exactly what I need because uh, I'm kind of burning out. So it, it's, it sounds like the first iteration of this was really you, know, you. it was Maggie Patterson. And mm-hmm. you know, then I got some people who work with me as contractors and they're doing a lot of the grunt work. Um, like how did, how long were you, was that the model before you shifted to Scoop Studios 
no, we're an entity and we're a team and we're producing value as a team, not just Maggie. So it was, it kind of happened in a very roundabout way. Uh, back in 2005, I had a contractor on my team and we had very complimentary skill sets because she did a lot of tech work. And, you know, we were doing a lot of email work at that time. Someone always needed to set it up. And we decided that we were going to go into business together. And so that really stepped me out of the personal brand into having Scoop. And she's since exited, exited the business for personal reasons. No juicy story there, everyone. It's happy times. It was a good move for both of us. <laughs> I was like, everyone's like, where's the business partner breakup story? I know. Story? Well, yeah, that's there usually is one. So <laughs> yeah, so it, it really kind of forced the issue of you can't just be a personal brand anymore. You're going to create this agency. And at the point we did that, you know, we hired full-time employees. So now I have one full-time employee and a series of, you know, I would say very steady contractors that we work with so that we're able to create that stability and consistency for clients. And clients know exactly who's working on their team. And I am still involved. I'm just not necessarily doing, you know, 100% of the writing, 100% of the client management. I get to pick and choose how I want to spend my time. Now, I'm curious if somewhere along the way, like early days when you were burnt out on the freelance model you were following, did did you ever look at uh, ahead at this, you know, kind of more scaled business and say, yeah, that sounds awesome, but I don't I don't want to have people under me like I, I don't I don't want to deal with other people or did that not even cross your mind? Because I know a lot oh, of that- for a lot of writers, that's like, um, yeah, but I don't want that. 100% because when I left my agency job, I had a, I was managing huge budgets for huge companies and I had huge responsibilities and huge teams. And I laughed and I was just like, I don't want any of that headache. I don't want to be responsible for spending half my week in meetings and all these things that come with having a team. So at the point I started transitioning into having contractors and ultimately employees, I, I really thought long and hard about how to do it in a way that was going to suit me and work with my energy. And, you know, I, at this point, Sarah on our team who works with me full time, she does a lot of the day-to-day management of contractors. I don't have to do that because that is not the highest and best use of my skill set. Now, did you identify that you needed uh, somebody like that? And you, did you identify that early on or how, how did that work? So here's the thing that has turned out real lot happens that Sarah is my sister. Ah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I always like to put that out there. Like I hired the least risky employee ever, but also the most risky employee because we're related. But I mean, she had that project management and marketing background that we really needed at the time. So we brought her in to do a lot of operations, but also writing. We needed someone with that really diverse skill set. I didn't really know what I needed, but now I'm very much like, can you please fire me from this? Like I literally yeah. get fired from things all the time and I love it because I'm not, I should not be messing around on the back end of our website doing something just because I can does not mean I should. Well, you know what I'm, what I'm hearing is that because of your agency background in mm-hmm. your PR background, you were you. This wasn't a foreign concept. I think for a lot yeah. of freelancers, this idea of having other team members or then having someone manage the team—that's a very foreign concept because we're used to doing everything ourselves, right? But you had seen this other model, and even though you know you weren't sure if you wanted to grow to this level, it wasn't a totally foreign concept to bring someone in who could then take that spot. Yeah. And I think, you know, 
it's really intimidating to people. I, I mentor a lot of other service business owners, and this is a big hangup they have. And ultimately, like, start small. Start with an assistant. Start with something to see how it works for you and learn from that process. If you've never managed someone before, it can be super, super intimidating. So instead of being like, hey, I'm going to cut to hiring someone full time to run all the things, baby step and let it grow so you can learn and iterate as you go through that process. Couldn't agree more. I went into freelancing thinking that's the one bit I wanted to start a business, but I don't want employees. And yep. I mean, we'll grow into a team of, you know, this eight of us, uh, mostly part time. But uh, I mean, that's that's completely nuts. I would have never guessed. But that's all baby steps. So let's shift gears a little bit, because the kind of the main thing we want to talk about today is is a um, it's kind of a different model for presenting and pricing your services. And you're a big proponent of, of a model that um, I would say most freelancers really don't consider, don't think about. Why don't you, I'll let you kind of lead from here and, and just give us a description of this approach and what made you decide to go in this direction. So a lot of times we talk about, you know, do we trade time for dollars? Do we do flat rate? Do we create projects? And I found that was getting really complicated for me because I had always been charging by the hour and I couldn't, I almost like couldn't shift my mindset out of that. So I was like, well, what's going to make this a win for the client that has them thinking, oh, this is totally worth it and not sitting around calculating what my hourly rate is. And I came up with this idea of creating a signature system or a signature process to really kind of formalize and systematize the work I do. And as a writer, we have the perfect businesses for this because we have to do a lot of things before we get to the writing. And we have certain processes and approaches we use for our writing, information we need to gather. So creating that signature process really does a couple things. It lets you take ownership of the process and not let the client own it. Let's you price it in a premium way. And it lets you become an expert because you're not just another freelancer that writes the things that is a commodity. You're shifting yourself out of being that commodity into being a valued expert resource that can guide them through the process. Because we assume our clients know what they want, but how many times have we all started on a project and been like, oh my goodness, they don't know what they don't know. So, and we end up doing exponentially more work. And a lot of times it's uncompensated. So if you can create this signature process for something like messaging or content strategy, or even how you're going to write the website copy, you're taking the mystery out of it. You're making something intangible, tangible, and you're taking control so the client doesn't keep you running in circles, wasting time and energy. So let me see if I understand this correctly. To maybe I might be oversimplifying it here. So instead of the model where it's, okay, what do you need? Oh, I need this. All right, I'll, yeah. I can get that to you. Um, you instead work with clients who, well, what do you need? Well, you know, I don't know. We got this problem and then we're trying to figure this out. It's all right. I tell you what, I can come in here with this signature system this process that I have will uncover what you really need. We'll present that and then we can execute. We, we can deploy this. Is that yeah, that's, fair? That's, yeah, that's definitely like, for example, with uh, messaging and storytelling, I developed a four-step framework that they go through. So anyone I'm working with on content or copy, ultimately they have to walk through that process before I can make the right recommendation on what else we should be doing. A lot of times a client comes to us and says, oh, I need to blog. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
let's walk through your messaging. Then let's go through a content strategy process and figure out what you really need. Um, and you can apply this to anything. You can apply it if you do blogging packages. Like this is our process for blogging and really owning that process versus them being like, oh, I'm going to send you 46 documents and I don't know what the steps are. Take control of that process by mapping it out and I like to give things a name. I'm like, it's the story distillery process for messaging. Sounds way better than messaging process. Yeah, it does. I love that. I love that. So that was my other question is, you know, the scenario that I oversimplified was one where the client maybe doesn't know, but many, yep. many times, I'd say even most of the time, the client contacts you with something tangible. Yeah, we need, like you said, uh, yeah, we need somebody to, to write our blog post. Um, and it's most people say, okay, sure. Um, and they ask questions so they could price it. You're saying, all right, well, that's great, but here's, here's a way we work. And you're presenting a more comprehensive solution that starts really at a better point. Yeah. And I mean, seriously, I have way less client blowups and nightmare situations because of this, because I'm able to anticipate possible points of failure. And I've built that into the system. So I know that, you know, a client who's very vague and just wants you to start blogging, I'm like, no, 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 this isn't going to happen. And because we're going to do a content strategy, we are going to do a content brief before we even start this so that by the time we get to writing a draft, it's a no brainer for them to approve it. Now, what happens when, um, and I know the answer, but I'm just playing devil's advocate. Yeah. <laughs> when they say, yeah, we don't, we don't want, we just need, you know, we just need someone to, to, to write, you know, 10 posts for us over the next month. Like, wh what's your typical response? So, you know, I love that question because I totally see it from their point of view. And for me, that has become a very strong way to screen people out. The type of client who wants something very, very transactional, not a great fit for me and my team. And they're probably looking for a lower value solution. And I'm, you know, honestly, I'm really happy to make recommendations or connect them with other people that can do those things. Those clients aren't going to value the process and they just want writing done to slap it up on their website. And that's that that's not what I'm here to do. Yeah, no, I hear you. Totally respect that. But and I'm glad you're looking at it from their point of view, because that's um, I, I think that's the first step. Right. And OK, I understand how can because there's a group of those who I'm sure maybe the answer is not or their response is not. Uh, yeah, we don't really need that. I need this. Maybe it's the group in the middle who could be swayed. Yeah. So what do you do with someone who comes to you with, yeah, here's what I need, very transactional, and you say, well, here's how we work, uh, and, and there's some hesitation. So, I mean, I know without getting into a ton of detail, is that somebody you could potentially work with? Kind of what do you try to do in terms of uh, starting that discussion? So very first thing I do is before I get on the phone and kind of have that consult call is I do a check-in with them, you know, pre-qualifying them, making sure that they understand how we approach things. So if they're, let's say they're a referral, I will follow up with, hey, I want to make sure this is a good fit for us and a good fit for you. Um, you know, I will have send them to a sales page that says, here's how we approach blogging or content strategy or summarize it for them so that they understand that it's not a transaction. It's about us building a partnership for us to assist them with their content. And a lot of times, you know, we will lose people in that pre-qualification process. But the end result is that when I get on the phone with someone, I know they're 80% of the way there and I don't have to sell them. We just walk through everything. We get a feel for each other and they feel really confident about our ability to deliver on what we say we can do. 
I love that. I couldn't agree more. I don't believe in getting on the phone if they're not at a certain point yet and they need to understand a lot of things early on. And I'm curious, yeah. what do you do from a messaging and positioning standpoint, like on your website, you know, when you have content out there, are you really clear about the way you work and the value you bring to the table? So it's interesting, you know, over the years, I've used different approaches where I have literally had a sales page that says this is a story distillery process and it starts at and um, we've moved away from that as we've started to work with more, I would say, small to inside corporate type clients because uh, they don't really read our website. But I do still have those sales pages that really break out, you know, what's included, what the steps are, you know, what the investment is hidden on the website so I can still use them as part of that sales process in that kind of initial discussion. I'll say, okay, great. It sounds like you need a content strategy. Here's how we do content strategy. Here's how we approach messaging and storytelling. So, and you know, what's interesting is I don't, they either are scared away on kind of price because they want that transaction or they're suddenly so much more sold because all the, they're like, oh my gosh, you're so different than everyone else I've spoken to. I was speaking to a prospect yesterday and he said, like, you've impressed me so much because you've given me so much more information before we got to this call versus like, yeah, pay me 600 bucks and I'll write you the things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it sounds like, though, but from a messaging standpoint, like even earlier than that, I'm not specifically pages that talk about specific services or solutions, but you uh, make a different impression. And I haven't been to your site, but I'm getting the sense that you're a little bit uh you're, you're clear on, on some of this, uh, even at that stage. So we, it's not a shock to the system when, when you start that discussion with a prospect. Yeah. And we try to make everything really simple, 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 simple. So simple language, but we're also very direct so that literally you can hit that website and you're like, I'm in or, Oh no, they're not for us. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate here again uh, because uh, I'm curious what your take is on um, how this works in different markets. Um, yeah. I completely get this. This I, I, I love it, and I, I think in you know kind of smaller uh, companies, maybe small to mid-sized corporate. Uh, but once you start really kind of getting to the mid-size, maybe in some of the larger companies. Um, I know that a lot of these marketing directors, for instance, you know, they kind of revert back to transactional. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean bad transactional, like low cost. Uh, they could still have great budgets and be willing to pay premiums uh, for the right people. But, you know, sometimes the attitude is, OK, yeah, that's great. But, you know, I really need someone to to help me with this. And, and maybe they're even willing to partner with that person and work with them long term. So what are your thoughts on, you know, would this approach work well with a um, with those types of, I wouldn't call them savvier because sometimes it's not necessarily that they're more savvy, but they're, it's, it's a different kind of business and they're looking yep. for something a little different. So I love this question because this is where you have the benefit of the structure and the framework, but what you can do is really sell it from the point of experience. So it's less about here's my hard line approach. And, you know, what I find works for SaaS companies of your size and my experience is for a white paper following this kind of structure or process. And, you know, I think it's we oftentimes with like the bigger the corporation, 
the more um, reticent we are to kind of try to own the process and be that expert. But I will tell you, you are going to stand out so much more when you are able to go in and say, okay, based on my experience, this is what I would recommend. This is the process I would follow and customizing it a bit to their needs. So they feel, you know, special and that they're different, but at the same time, you are providing way more value from the get-go because you're demonstrating that, you know, your stuff. Yeah. I like that. So it's, it's, still maintaining the core essence of this concept, yeah. right? And just adapting it. Um, because it, it, just to stick with that example, many times it's, they, they don't need the messaging help. Now I've worked with plenty yeah. of companies that are actually bigger and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, they, they're trying to revamp their website, but they really need to start with this messaging piece. I mean, this thing is a disaster. Um, but, but let's say one that they have all that together. So I can't stick to the template that I have because mm -hmm. that one's kind of already been checked. Um, so it's really kind of adapting to the specific situation I'm in without falling prey to the, or going reverting back to the old model is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And I think this is where you have to get really, really comfortable as a service provider, knowing, you know, how much do you want this client? Where are you willing to bend? Um, I'm personally at a point career-wise where I'm not really willing to bend on certain things. Like I'm not going to do blogging for you if you won't do a content strategy. And I think getting really clear on where those boundaries are and what your deal breakers are, let you approach that in a way where you can be more strategic and also, um, take ownership of the process. Cause I think so many times we get excited when we have a potential client that's kind of a dream client and we get, we, we start giving up our power in that relationship. And then what happens is we, we literally start to feel like an employee. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You know, what, what you're really saying here, Maggie, is that you got this, the consultative part of your service is packaged, right? Yeah. That that is packaged. And, and the more you start taking away from that and making that chunk smaller, uh, the harder it is to land the opportunity and have that be a great client for you is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. And there's so many people who can, you know, go in and do a reasonable job. So you need to figure out what that client's going to value and step up your game and really show that expertise and value you're going to bring to them. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's move a little bit into kind of implementation. If somebody is listening to this and they're thinking, you know, this makes perfect sense. I need to start moving in this direction. Um, and let's say that, that's me. I'm the one thinking about it. And I, right now I price my work by the, by the project, kind of a fixed fee model. How yep. can I start moving in this direction? Cause I'm, I'm thinking this is not kind of like a, you know, a big bang approach. Maybe you start shifting things gradually, um, start with one service. How can I test this idea and move in this direction with minimal risk? So I definitely would recommend starting with one service and the service I would recommend you start with is number one, the one that causes you the most pain. Like where are you experiencing the biggest breakdown? So let's say you do website copywriting. Uh, are you having difficulties with messaging and getting that nailed down? So by the time you get to draft the client, it's an absolute disaster. Or um, do you need to have a better process for doing content strategies so that the client's really clear on the plan for what's going to happen and really understanding kind of okay, these are where I really see the breakdown. So for me, I saw a breakdown happening with messaging. It was making me nuts. I needed to really get that in hand because 
one of those things I found is most clients thought they knew it and then we'd get in there and they didn't. So I was just like, this is a non-negotiable. And the way to start that is I started small. I started by testing it out, not taking a hard line, like this is the way it's going to be, but really taking something I was already doing and that needed improvement and formalizing it and testing and, you know, basically going through kind of an alpha beta <laughs> to getting to that actual like, okay, this is the way we're going to do it. And I really, you know, I would really strongly urge people to not just create a service out of thin air, take something you're already doing and improve upon it and formalize it because that's where you're going to get the best results versus being like, I want to be known for this thing that I've never, ever done. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. When it's theory, uh, I wouldn't convert everything overnight. Let's test mm -hmm. this concept, and then you have proof of concept at that point, and then you can start uh, expanding it from there. Um, I, I'm curious, and we we touched on this a little earlier, Maggie. This the the whole how do you present the the value of this approach to the client? And you mentioned a few things. One of which was, hey, you know, first you got to be clear on your website about where you add value. Uh, why you're different, um, then have a, a a sales process that includes a pre-qualification and qualification process, all these things that have to happen before you have that first conversation, which I think it's, I, I completely agree with you. That's key. Um, in terms of maybe the conversation you have with a prospect, are there any things you found that, um, that work really well in terms of um, you know, getting the right prospects to convert to clients? Yeah. So it's two-parter is at the point you've pre-qualified them. You're going to get on that consult call. You're having that conversation is I do at a high level, like to walk them through the process. So if, you know, we're doing messaging, I'll say, okay, so here's how messaging works. We do this, 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 and this really, again, taking something that seems kind of like vapor and it's very vague and hard for them to understand and turning it into something where they feel really secure and even excited about the process. So walking it, walking them through it, making sure I answer any questions, handling any objections. And then typically what I will do, I would say in most cases is I then will send a proposal and the proposal, I mean, because these signature processes are set, it's very simple for me to put together that proposal. But again, it's reiterating what it is. It's, you know, showing the value. It's demonstrating that this can make a tangible difference to their business. So really making sure that it's not just up presented up front on that sales page they read two weeks ago, but it's also addressed in the consult call. And that's also addressed in the proposal so that by the time we get to them saying yes, they know exactly what's going to happen. And they feel like they are going to be well taken care of. Love it. I I, I know that um, most freelancers struggle to close even twenty to thirty percent of the prospects they talk to. And I'm guessing in your case, by the time you have that consult, a, a much larger percentage than that is converting. I mean, do you have a sense for the difference between like back then and the old days for you versus now? You know, it's interesting. So if I look back, you know, kind of pre getting into this, I definitely spent way too much time talking to people that were not a fit. <laughs> yes. Haven't we all? <laughs> yeah, it, it skewed the numbers. What's what's really interesting is that at that stage of the game, typically they were referrals. So they knew there was a personal in with me. So they they actually felt a higher sense of security with me, but my close rate was much, much lower. So now they're actually a lot colder. They've found me through 
any number of magical ways on the internet. And through the process, I'm able to make them feel so secure. So, I mean, before I was maybe closing about 50 to 60%, which I know is a high close rate, but referrals help that along. And now typically I get really upset when something doesn't close. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> because I mean, most things I would say close 85 to 90. There's always those ones that throw off my percentage that disappear. I don't know where they went. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, listen, that's fantastic. And I'm a big believer in gaming the system um, by it's an easy and ethical way to game the system, meaning have fewer people move to that, that call phase. Yeah. Right. Because if you get the right ones to that, then you are um, really closing the uh, a higher percentage, really the ones who should close as opposed to trying to get as many people to to that call, which is exhausting. Yeah. And I'm sure you've talked about this in previous podcasts, but on those console calls, especially for writers, please stop giving away your strategy for free. So what do you it's suggest you do? What do you, what do you, what, what do you typically do on the call in terms of sharing your, your strategy or your approach? I, okay. I never talk strategy on the call. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it really, you know, I might drop a couple nuggets like, Oh, you know, I really see an opportunity for this or that, but this is why, you know, strategy like for example if you're writing a website they need to be paying you to do the content strategy not for you to be giving them an hour-long consult call where they can take away and implement it and this is a this is a definitely a mindset shift but the purpose of the consult call is to talk about how you can work together and the first step of you working together will be doing the strategy and when people push me for strategy on a call i'm like that's why we do a content strategy that's why we do a content strategy yeah. And keep bringing it back to that because you will have tire kickers. You will have people that are looking for things for free. And I just, I just went through this with a mentoring client and she stopped doing it and it was really hard. She just didn't have the confidence, but oh my gosh, it's like night and day. But well, we want to serve everybody, right? We want to be helpful. Yeah. And the tendency is to give away a lot of value. Now, I think there's a big difference between describing your process, yeah. right? In which is key that you do that versus strategizing with that prospect. Yes. And I think, you know, one of the, if you're really uncomfortable with this, one of the best ways to kind of curb that is to say, you know what, I need to do more discovery and understand more about your business before I can make the best recommendations. Yes. Uh, it's a brilliant way, which is, and it's true. It's true. You can't possibly do the right kind of uh, strategy with, with without more information, and it would take much more than that call. Um, oh, so that, much more. I'm curious, uh, where and how have you seen this approach misused? You know, what what should we be mindful of so it doesn't start sounding like a gimmick and it's received the right way? So I think there's two parts. To this is Number one, going back to what I mentioned before, but making sure that this is something that you have a track record of results with, that you have years of experience doing, um, that you're not just saying, I magically want to start doing X and creating a service and a process and trying to essentially create IP that you're creating out of nothing. So I think that's the first thing. I think th the second thing is not 
getting so systematized and so process driven that this doesn't feel personal and it feels like a cookie cutter thing that your clients are going through. You want to strike the balance between I am the expert and this is the approach that I recommend and still making your client feel like they're special and that, um, you know, they're not going through essentially your, your cold cookie cutter system. Yeah. I, I was the, uh, the recipient of someone who was following the cookie cutter in a totally different business. And it was just so painful Uh, she was a landscape designer and you could tell she went through some training where they, you know, basically told her use this system. And it was a two hour meeting. It was so painful. I finally told her, look, I I got calls. I got to go. And she's okay. The first step of my 12 step process is, and she went on for 20 minutes and, and I told, well, wait a minute. We don't need that. That's we, we've already we already got that. <laughs> um, so it's it's almost like she couldn't get away from the system she had in her case instead of design herself. She had bought from somebody and adapted it to our situation, and and that's when I know it can start really feeling in, in like a gimmick and, and backfire quickly. Yeah, and the key to the process ultimately is. The client is going to love the process the most if it makes things simpler and easier and faster for them. So if you're creating, you know, 15 page workbooks for your client to fill out, no, stop that. (laughs) How can you make this um, process create the least amount of friction with your client, but still have really great customer experience? That's what you need to be going for. Couldn't agree more. Maggie, this has been fantastic. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I think it's a lot of wisdom in what you have to share. And I'm, I love the fact that you got to this point uh, through lots of trial and error. That's, that's really the best way. <laughs> and uh, I want to make sure before we sign off that um, uh, you tell us where listeners can learn more about you. I know you got some great content out there. So your podcast listeners, so you can join me over on the Small Business Boss podcast and you can find that wherever you're probably listening to this exact podcast. And if you want help with creating your signature service, I have a free guide you can grab over at smallbusinessboss.co slash signature. Oh, fantastic. Very cool. I didn't know you had that. That makes it really, really easy. I uh, will make sure to include those links in the show notes. And again, Maggie, um, thank you for coming on today. This has been uh, this has been a fantastic talk. Thank you so much for having me. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com. 